Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Calvary. It's good to see all of you here today. And uh, we're looking forward to what God's going to do through the rest of this service. Let me ask you how you're doing this this new year. Uh, Many of you have resolved to be healthier. How are you doing? Uh, so-so, okay, all right. It's, a, it's been two weeks. I mean, if you've made it this far, good job, all right? So I, I'm happy for you. I, I found some things today. I want to, we talk about health. Maybe these will be words of encouragement for you. So watch this, look at the screen a second. I got a couple words. Uh, my favorite exercise is a cross between a lunge and a crunch. I call it lunch, okay? Anybody? I agree, okay. Look, look at that. I got a couple more. I love this one. Some days you eat salads and go to the gym. Some days you eat cupcakes and refuse to put on pants. It's called balance. I like that, right? Okay. Well, a couple more. Calories. This is the definition. Those little tiny creatures that live in your closet and sew your clothes a little bit tighter every night, right? <laughs> Amen. we got to kill those calories, okay? And the last one. Once you lick the frosting off a cupcake, it becomes a muffin. And muffins are healthy. You're welcome. All right. Good. I like that. Okay. So we're talking about health today. And the question we've been asking as we talk about the healthy church is, are we a healthy church? And, and in what degree and what, what areas of health do we need to continue to work on? But also making sure that we understand that a healthy church is healthy based on its members. So the question we're asking him, am I a healthy church member? And, and so that's what we've been talking about. We'll continue to do that for a few weeks. We're looking at the health of how God designed our church to be and as members of that church, what that looks like for us. And to do so in our journey towards health, We're going to be walking through the book of Titus. So if you've got your Bibles, you can help me by going there or your electronic devices. The book of Titus, and we're walking through this book, which mentions on several occasions that word sound, which means healthy or well or whole. So there's something weaved through the book of Titus that's about our health as people, as a church that Titus is is working with. And we start with this verse, and this is where we, we... Kicked off last week, verse number one, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's that last phrase that I think kind of sets the pattern for Titus and and honestly should set the pattern for the health of a church. And we kind of put it this way last week. Truth that is taught or or known, truth that you've got in your mind should translate into truth lived. Truth taught should translate into truth lived. In other words, what you hear, and, it, and, and somebody's talked about, well, it doesn't mean truth learned. Yes, but here's what I, my contention is this. Just because you have it in your mind doesn't mean you've learned it. I don't think you actually can say you've learned it until you've applied it, and that's the point. Truth taught, truth known, should translate into truth lived, and that's what this is. It leads to truth that leads to godliness. Here's how we summarized it last week. A healthy church nurtures faith based on truth that impacts lives. It's truth. It, it is, it is the, it, the idea of this faith that God, we talk so much about, but it's based on truth, and it should be changing our lives and the lives of those around us. So with that fundamental kind of practice in place, that's how we start this idea of, of being healthy. Now we're going to start walking through some specific, um, specific areas of health. And today, the area we're going to talk about is healthy leadership. Leadership is is how this book begins once we get past the introduction. And leadership is an area that affects all of us, whether it's globally, nationally, locally, personally, in your family. There is so much that happens that we're affected by the leadership that is around us. And and the Bible is going to make that clear. Titus is as we go through this, this particular book. Pick up with me in verse number four. This is, we, we talked a little bit about this, to Titus, my true son in our common faith. We, we know that Titus and Paul had this special relationship, and, and anytime we see Titus spoken of by Paul, there, there's an endearing quality. There, there was his, his son in the faith, and there was only two other guys that he mentioned that in the New Testament, Timothy and Onesimus, and these guys, there was this special relationship but we also will see that Titus is, seemed to be the guy that was always on special assignment by Paul. 
There was, he was that, as we talked about last week, you, you know a guy, right? I, I got a plumbing problem. Well, I know a guy, right? I, I, got, a, I got an issue here. Well, I know it. Paul seemed to call on Titus when there was issues that need to be addressed. Maybe it was, it was what Titus' gift was that kind of a, an encourager. Whatever the idea was, Titus was the one that Paul would tap when things need to be done. So the special assignment then, as this verse continues, verse 5, he, Paul says, the reason I left you in Crete... So in other words, here's your, the, the assignment that I left you. And Crete, as we talked about, beautiful island, just picturesque as far as vacation spot, but deplorable in their morality, especially at the time of this writing. In fact, verse 12, as I remind you, they, they had this, this reputation of this is how it was said. They are, the Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. That, that's how he described them. And we still use the word, even today, the word Cretan is one that's at least dishonest or just questionable in character, right? That's, that's where he was. This was, Paul had left Titus in Crete, but notice the next phrase. The reason I left you there was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. I've left you here for an assignment, Titus. I've directed you to do this. And the first thing he's going to say is what you do is finish things that were started and appoint leaders, appoint elders. Now, some of you, I, I just have a sneaking suspicion, have already tuned me out because you say, well, I'm, I'm not a leader. It's not who I, especially I'm not a leader in the church. And so what, what does this possibly have to do with me? Let me give you a couple suggestions. One, God may call you to such a position. God may put you in a position of leadership in some, some form or fashion. So I hope that you're listening for that. Also, some of you understand that your age, your influence, whether you like it or not, has made you a leader. There are people looking to you. And not, I'm not saying anybody in here is old, all right? I'm just, I'm just saying, all right? All of their, it could be your age, could be the position that you hold. You do, you do have the ability to lead. Here's another thing I know. All of us are leaders in some way. There's somebody looking at you, whether you understand that or not. There is some way that your life is leading others. And I, and I hope that you're going to gather that as we talk about these ideas of, of leaders. We're also going to look at some qualifications for leaders. We go into this, and what I found interesting is pretty much every one of the qualifications for a leader should be what is a part of every maturing Christian's life. As you look through that, there's nothing you could say, well, that's just for leaders. I'm going to give you a qualification that if we're maturing as God's people, leaders should lead in these areas. Leaders should take the, the, the first steps, but all of us should be going in this direction. And then finally, here's what I want to encourage you to do, is as you think of those who are leading, and think of those who you consider to be leaders in your life or in your church, I hope that today, by the end, you at least will be encouraged to pray for them in a way you never have before. That you will lift them up before God and you will, you will see what God has in store for them and for you and, and the importance of even praying for those leaders. So this is for all of us, and I hope you'll grab that. Here's what we're going to learn. Let me point out number one is this. Church health rises and falls on leadership. The health that we're talking about rises and falls. Now, that, that phrase may mean something to you, may, may not. Uh, John Maxwell, he's a uh, kind of a popular leadership guru in, in our culture. Um, he, he quotes this phrase. He actually brought it to light. He learned it from someone else. But he actually says this, everything rises and falls on leadership. That's his, that's his famous statement. And what he means by that, there's a lot of truth there, but here's what he means by that. He means that uh, uh, the leaders inevitably will make things better or worse. If you have a good leader, then you'll see some positive things happen in the organization, in the team, in the unit. If there's a, is a leader that's helped, if there's a bad leader, then things are tougher for those who are trying to follow. Now, what he's not saying there is that all success of the business lays on the shoulders of the leaders. That's not the point. That's egotistical. That's pressure that's undue because it, it, it takes the whole team to make it work. But leaders will inevitably make it better or worse. The, the, the leaders have that kind of influence, that kind of possibility to, to filter down what God or what is meant to do for the organization. So what I find interesting is with all, and we talked a little bit about it, all the problems that the Cretans were going to deal with, all the moral issues and all of that, the first thing that Paul says, rather than addressing any of the issues, the first thing he addresses is, you've got to get leaders in place. The first thing he says to Titus about, well, if you're going to deal well and you want to have a healthy church, let's start, first of all, with the leaders. Leadership 
matters. And I think we see that throughout the New Testament. Look again at what he says. Put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders. And he's going to use a word later. The, the word is same word for overseers. He says appoint these leaders. That's your first business. You've got to do, Titus. It's for a church to be healthy. It has to have or it needs to be working on the health of its leaders. Now, what we don't understand is the timeline exactly of how, when all this happened. We know that Paul at some point was in Crete because he said, I left Titus there. Some point he was there and he did what Paul did. At the point he was there, he went and he would share the gospel and people would come to Christ. And, and his, his pattern was then, what, what he would do was, was then to, to raise them up, to help them grow. But something, and this is the part we don't know because we don't know the timeline, something pulled Paul away from these people in Crete before it was finished. Before it was finished, there was something still left to be done, and now that's why, he's left, why he left Titus there. One thing we know is that Paul didn't just, wouldn't, wouldn't just come and say, here's the faith, and accept it, and, and leave them. He always had an ability to, to come around and encourage them. Acts chapter 14 is a great example. When Paul had led some folks to Christ and then and in these towns, and then he would come back, and here's how the Bible described it. He was strengthening the disciples. He was encouraging them. And part of the plan to do that was this. And let me quote it, Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church, and with prayer and fasting they turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. There's that word elder again, same word that's used in Titus. When they came to a church, they went, went people to Christ, and the church begins, they would come back and strengthen it, and one of the first things that they would do is they would appoint leaders. They would appoint elders to help them be a part. Now, let's talk about that word elder for a minute. By simple definition, an elder is someone older, right? That's, that's just the simple definition, okay? And, and here's, here's the thing we've got to remember. Everyone, again, you're older than someone else in this room. Even us insignificant, picked-on babies of the family, those of us, we, we get no credit. Even us babies, you know, we're older than someone, right? Here's what I'm finding is every day I seem to be older than most people. I just, I'm not liking this, right? I seem to be getting in that, that realm where I'm older than a lot of people. But here's the point. Elders, by simple definition, is, is those were older, and there is something to that. But there's more to it. What you're going to see in the Scriptures is it wasn't always about age. Elder also, even from the Old Testament and from the way in which they govern not only the community, but also the, the children of Israel, and then it moves into the church, an elder became an, a, a position, a position of leadership, one that was looked to, one that was looked to for, for the idea of respect. And what Paul is telling Titus is that needs to happen here in Crete. There are things that need to be done, and the first, one of the first things you need to do to finish what I've called you to do is to establish these leaders. Now go back to Acts with me for a minute. I think it's interesting, that, not the other Acts, I'm sorry, <laughs> that Acts we were just at. If you, it, when he says, when they appointed elders, they did it with prayer and fasting, first of all. That's just how important they knew this was. This wasn't just about, hey, pick some guys that are willing. They spent time praying and fasting over the choices, uh, over the ones who we appointed. And then I love what he says, and we're going to turn these elders over to the care of the Lord. One of the job of an elder is to care for people. And now what he's saying is we're going to turn these elders over to the care of the Lord. They need to be cared for as well. We're going to let God help encourage them so that they can help. What a beautiful picture. And that's exactly what now Titus is being told to do here at this church of Crete is to begin with these, these elders. Now, there's another, as we're talking about this word elder, there's some words used in New Testament that are also used synonymously or used interchangeably with the word elder. Paul introduces all three of these words in the book of Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, he says this, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. There's the first one, verse 17. You keep going through Acts 20, and he says, to these elders, he's speaking, he says, so keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you. Here's our second word, overseers. So elders were also referred to as overseers. They, they had the oversight of, of the, the churches. And then he gives another word, be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Uh, elders, overseers, shepherds, all words used for this, this area of leadership within the church, those who were to care for, those who were to, and, and it's all three words used to designate the same position within the church. So what we see is a healthy, maturing church needs healthy, maturing leaders to, make the, to, to help the people to grow the church to be what God has called it to be. 
Let me just give you some practical examples right here at Calvary. Uh, there, we would have positions, if you would, of leadership. One we would call the elder pastor position. And here's a, here's a list of who we have right now considered part of our appointed pastors. Myself, uh, Pastor Carlos, Pastor Josh. These are that have been designated, put in these positions of leadership in, in that way. There's also another word in the, in the New Testament. It's not the same as the overseers, but that's the word for deacons. Deacon is simply a word servant, but they also, by their position, become these designated elected leaders. Here tonight, if you, if you come back, we're go, we have a wonderful night plan. It's our annual administration meeting. We've got baptism. We're going to talk about vision. We're going to, and at the end, we're also going to confirm. This is our, our deacon uh, roster, if you would, for 2018. And these, these gentlemen will be the, the ones who we have been designated as, as servant leaders within the church. So that just gives you an idea. That's, uh, we believe that healthy churches have healthy leaders, and it's important that these healthy leaders are continuing to grow in their health so that the church as well grows. But this isn't all the leaders. If I tried to list them all, I would miss them. But let me say, there's men and women all throughout this church. Right now, there's teachers that are leading. There are those who lead in our worship. There are those who lead ministries. There are those who just lead people, and some of it's appointed. Some of it just comes because of their, their position or becomes of their opportunity, but the, the point is still is this, healthy churches are developing and growing healthy leaders. And I think if there's one thing as I, to be relevant to today personally, that's one thing God has just been challenging me and encouraging me on specifically in the last months of my life is that one thing we have to make sure we're doing here is developing healthy leaders that we're developing those that are in leadership, that we're helping them be healthier, but then we're also seeing others grow to be what God is, because God will put them here. God has put them here. It's a matter of us training and loving and encouraging and, and developing those who would be the leaders. I know I need to be personally more Titus-like. I need to be about seeing leadership and helping people grow and helping others, men and women both, grow into the place that, because the church needs that. God knows that that's a principle that's a part of us. So I would encourage you to do, do the same, to consider your, your leadership possibility, the places God has you that people are looking to, and to pray for these leaders as well as all the leaders you have. That's part of what it is. Because why? Because healthy churches rise and fall on healthy leadership. Let me give you a second thought as I walk through this passage. Church leadership then rises and falls on character. That's what we get as we walk through these next few verses, starting in, in uh, verse number 6. Paul's going to give some specific qualifications. And in these qualifications for leaders, he's, he shared a very similar list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 with his other pastor uh, son, Timothy. And, and the, the lists are very similar in what they do. And what I find interesting about this list is there's a lot of things listed, and we're going to just briefly walk through them, but there's one thing that's not on the list. And the thing that's not on the list is a skill set, is a list of their talents or their abilities. None of, that's not unimportant. That, that is important, but what God is trying to show us is that leadership at, at the core, the most important part of leadership is who, who they are. And, and who God is making, it's, it's the inside. You see, we, you can literally, there, there's gifts of leadership, those are those kind of things, great. And there are also leadership that can be trained and can be honed and can be helped. But character is something that God does from the inside out. And the most important quality of a leader is character. That's where it all comes back to, is, is, there, is there character, what's from, from what, what's inside. That's what's most critical. So let's look at how Paul starts this off. Here's what he says, verse number six. An elder, a leader we're going to say, but an elder, position or, or volunteer, what an elder, look at this, must be blameless. I'm going to encourage you to circle that word, underline it. It's a huge word. But let me say what that word does, is not. He didn't say elders, leaders have to be perfect. Please understand that. There's a big difference between being blameless and being perfect or flawless or faultless. If you're looking for perfect leaders in human form, you're not going to find them here. You're not going to find them here. You're not going to find them in any of the leaders. that you. We're, we're, we're not perfect, and we're, we have our issues. We are going to, it's not about being perfect 
perfect, a being without fault. The word literally means to be above reproach, to have a good record, to be a person of unquestionable integrity. It means that they have a reputation that this is the character of their life, that this is how they live. Are they going to make some mistakes even in these areas? Of course they are. This is a, an area, different areas we fight with in different p- parts, but the point is that they have a reputation for this being a part of their life, that those would see that and they, and they don't have the opposite characteristics. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. It means to be blameless. Now remember who he's talking to here. Always keep that in mind. We're talking to the Cretans, all right? Talking to, to a, a group of folks that had some serious moral issues. So some of these qualifications, obviously, were going to, to direct, be directed specifically for this group. These are some things that they need to be careful of because of where they live. But what I find interesting is when you give to Timothy, some of the same qualifications are there. And, and other places in Scripture, he gives qualifications that are very similar. So what I'm seeing is even though these are the Cretans that he, they're talking about, He's also, these are some universal qualifications, some things that as leaders, some ways that we need to pick up and and, and understand that we'd be a part of. So he says that word blameless twice in these verses. So I'm going to characterize those in two broad areas. Blameless in two areas. So leaders, if this is you, let's look at our lives. If you're considering it, if you're praying for our leaders, when you choose leaders, here's what he says. Blameless, first of all, blamelessness starts at home. Because here's what he said. He said, an elder and overseer must be blameless Faithful to his wife, I think this translation really captures what it's, it's trying to say. It's a, it's a one-woman man is the idea. It's the idea that if an elder, if a leader is married, their eyes, their, their heart is to be committed to that, to that person and, and none other. That they have this, this character, this quality, this reputation of being faithful to their spouse. That, that's critically important. It, remember, the Cretans, but it's not so uncommon to, to, to today is that sexual issues and the issues of purity and and immorality, they were present then, they're present today. But Christians, we have to be at a different level. God has called us to a higher standard, and leaders, we have to lead in that. Those who we follow need to see a blamelessness, a above-reproach attitude about how we treat our spouse, being faithful to his wife. But it doesn't stop there. He goes on to say in the family, and a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Now, I'll be honest, this sometimes is a sensitive topic because it, you, you don't get any closer than when you talk about your kids. And, and it uses that word believe in there, and, and what, some translations will say the word faithful. Here's what I, I think is we've got to be got to be clear about is uh, it can't be a qualification that a deacon's or a elder or a leader's kids have to be saved. That can't be what he's saying there because that's not up to me. That's, and, and that's a choice that they and God are going to have to deal with, right? I can't force a kid to be saved, and it, that can't be even my responsibility. I have to present the truth. So it can't be saying that. So the idea of being faithful and in the context here seems to be that it's one that it shows that dad is and, and the parents are, in, are, are ruling the household well, that they're, they're teaching their kids well. They're not going to be perfect kids. They're going to have their issues. Pastors' kids have reputations, right? Um, uh, some of them do, okay? I, I know, i got to stop there. She gave me this sign, okay? Pastors' kids, deacons' kids. You get deacons and pastors' kids together, oh, all stuff breaks loose, right? Okay, I, I get that. It's not they're being perfect kids, but there, has, there, there needs to be an example that the leader is leading his family well, is leading them in, in the direction, and showing that there's not this wild uh, disobedience. That there, there's, and, and here's the thing. Once, and this also only applies once while they're under the authority of their parents. Once they move, they're under their own. They, they then are making their choices. It's not based on parents. So it, it's not about holding guilt. It's about doing the best and seeing that you're doing your best. And I'll be honest, if in a leadership position at some point, you're finding this is an area that your kids are really struggling, maybe that's a point when you need to, you know, sit back from leadership and just focus on your kids. The point is not to make a person feel guilty. The point is you've got, you've got these precious people in front of you. Are you doing your best to help them to know the truth and raise them up to be faithful? Does that make sense? It, that's what a leader starts. Blamelessness starts at, at home, all right? But the blamelessness also continues as you go on. He says, uh, faithful to children. And then verse 7, since an overseer manages God's household, he's, that's the word steward, we're, we're managers, we're not, we don't own it, we manage it. 
He must be blameless, and then he's going to list several things. So now the blamelessness not only starts at home, it continues into his daily life, his lifestyle, his, his uh, impact in the community, and, and what, he does th- what he does there. Let me just walk through these verses and just stop a little bit and talk about each one. Here's some qualifications. De- he starts with five knots. So leaders, deacons, elders, all of you that are in leadership, here's five things that we're not to be. Okay, things that, and maybe these are things we have to be working on. Maybe they affect you in different ways. He says it this way. He says, a, a leader must be blameless, not overbearing. That, that by uh, some translations is arrogant. It's the idea of my way or the highway. It's the idea of, of by manipulation, by you have to do this and, and not listening to anyone else. A leader's not to be overbearing. He goes on to say also not to be, also not overbearing, but not quick-tempered. It doesn't say the anger's wrong, but it's, it's the, the extent and the, and the quickness. God himself said, I am slow to anger, right? So there, we know that Jesus went in and turned over tables. We know that, that anger has its issues, and there are things that we do that we deal with, but, but it's one that, that is not quick, that's not a flying off the handle, that is able to keep those things under control. And again, as you mature, those things continue to help. He goes on to say, you're not to be uh, overbearing, not quintempered, not given to drunkenness. The literal statement is this, not one who sits long at his wine. Now remember, we're talking to the lazy, gluttonous Cretans, so that had something to do with it. But isn't it interesting that even over 2,000 years, there's still some definite issues with with the concept of alcohol and what it can do and how it can change. And someone who's controlled by this or by any substance whatsoever, those are issues that now you've taken out of God being in control and something else. And that's the point here. There's, I'll just be honest, nowhere in the scriptures does God say or Paul say that, that drinking by itself itself is a sin. Drunkenness, sitting along at the wine, that is something God says should never be done. But it also, you look at that culture, you look at our culture and how it's abused and how, it's, how it's, so many people are trapped by it, and it has to be something at the very least is strictly, we, we hold ourselves strictly to this because this is something it controls and it takes away from a leader being able to do what they're supposed to do. So he says, not, being, not given to drunkenness, not violent. That word actually means a bruiser. <laughs> There, some of you, that, that hits harder than others, okay? Being in my, in my size in life, there are times that I didn't mean to hurt them, right? <laughs> They're just little. I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't see it. You know, but it's not the point. It's a point of someone who's not quarrelsome, someone who's not easily fighting. That's why a few years ago I had to give up playing sports as a pastor. I'm just giving because it was hard for me to do that and not, and not allow that because there's something about that one who's, who's a bruise, one who is violent. And then last of the knots, he said, and not pursuing dishonest gain. Again, directly in co- contrast to the culture of these liars, these gluttons, but again, it's someone who's greedy or their, their love for money or their desire for money even leads to, I'll do it, if it mean, even if it means I'm being dishonest to get it. It's a greed. It's a love dishonest gain. Those are what we should not do. Now, keep looking. These are things we should do. He gives six things that should be a part of a leader's life. Rather, he says, he must be hospitable. Now, that means more than just inviting people over to your house. Nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's deeper than that. In that culture, not only Crete, but in that whole New Testament culture, the, the Christians were being persecuted, and many of them found themselves homeless and, and wandering. And so part of, the, part of the church, you'll find in 2 and 3 John, was welcoming those who, who needed to be welcomed. It also had traveling preachers going from town to town, and they were to be welcomed in, and you took care of them like the apostles and Jesus he sent them out. The, the basic idea is being willing to welcome those who need it. Being willing to open your arms, open your home, give of yourself, being hospitable to help those who are in need of what, what is needed. He goes on to say, and do that, those who are one who loves what is good. An elder, a leader, should gravitate towards the good things. Like Paul said in Philippians, think on good things, think on uh, things of good report, think on, on holy things. Think, uh, an elder should be one whose direction goes toward the good. And not being one that's kind of on the shady side or, or always has the, sees the, the, the dirty part of everything. You, know, you, you gravitate towards that which is good. That's a qualification of an elder. He also says one who is self-controlled. 
Now, this obviously goes through a lot of things, but it literally means sober-minded. It means someone, based I can understand, is someone who's not just, just fluctuating based on their moods and their, their emotions, but they, they, they learn to, to, work, to walk consistently, to walk in this, this way of, of being, having things under control. That's a, that's a good leader. He says a leader needs to be upright, which means to be fair, equitable, equitable, to be a person of utmost integrity in all areas. He said one that is to be holy. Now, again, holy does not mean perfect. That's a word that we use. Holy, by definition, means set apart. God says, I am holy, and we're to be holy like him. It means that he's he's different. He's separate. A leader, an elder, a a person in leadership needs to have qualifications that show that they they are more like God, that they are separate, that they are trying to follow, and they're leading in this way. And last, but certainly not least, he says, a leader is to be disciplined. This is, this is the word in the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. It's the idea. I think it affects everything. And that, that a leader should have a way of disciplining their, their finances, a way of disciplining their lifestyle, of disciplining the way that they, they, they move and they act. And there's, there's this idea of, of being in discipline. And, and that's the idea of an athlete who just puts everything in discipline in order to reach the goal. That's the idea, to be disciplined, to, to move forward in, in that fashion. Now, now, that's a pretty impressive list, isn't it, Leaders? And that's, remember, this is for all of us. I don't see any of those that, that some of us can say, oh, that's only for leaders. All of us need to be growing. But leaders, here's my encouragement to you. If you are in some position of leadership, you know someone's looking to you. Are there some of those areas that, that you need to address maybe now and just ask God to help you to grow in that area? Or maybe these are, uh, there's, there's a couple of these that you and God have you've been dealing with and you, maybe you find a, a partner you're accountable just to see because leaders need to be healthy and, and this is part of the aspect of our health. All right, here's what we learned so far. Church health rises and falls on leadership. Leadership rises and falls on character. The next part, verse number nine, is he mentions another important part of leadership. Let me read that. He says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Let me add this one critical observation. Not only is leadership rises and falls on character, but character rises and falls on truth. A, A leader, as we're talking about leaders today, a healthy church leader, is built character not by sheer willpower, not by the fact that they have these gifts of being leaders. There are people that just seem to be, just gravitate towards that. It's not about their, their specific gifts or they're saying, I'm going to be a better leader. I mean, you can go to Lincoln Land, you can go to U of I, you can go to college all over and, and get a degree in some sort of leadership. But what he's saying here is there's something even more important for a leader, and that is that, let's, let's be honest, they're leading in the right way. And the only way they're going to do that is if they know truth and if they're leading towards the right direction, if they're leading in truth. All those things, you can have their agree, those are all great. But what's most important is that your leadership is based on, a, as he says, a trustworthy message. Just because you have followers doesn't mean that you're a good leader. It means you're a leader doesn't mean you're a good one. A good leader is one whose character and whose way of life and whose decisions is based on truth. I read this week, there's a pastor, I've heard him several times, Stuart Briscoe. He tells a story of a, a young pastor who he met. And he was doing a funeral, just a young guy doing a funeral. And it was a funeral for a war veteran. And several of the war veterans' buddies wanted to give a special tribute. So they asked the pastor if he would be a part of it. So this young pastor agreed, and, and their goal was simply that they would, they would all march in. There was about five or six of them. They would all march in behind the pastor, and he, they would lead in military form. They'd walk up to the casket. They'd get in procession, and they'd have a moment of, of you know, honor for their, their comrade. And then the pastor would lead them out, out the side door, and they would go on to the, to the graveside. Everything went as planned. It came to the end of the service. The pastor walks up to back to the aisle. They march down. They have their moment, and he walks off, but there was only one problem. He went in the wrong room. When he opened the door, he led these six guys right into the janitor's closet. And so in front of all the mourners, they're backpedaling, and they're pulling brooms over, and it was all about it. They followed the leader, but the leader went the wrong direction. You see, that's the importance of leadership. Leadership based on your own intuition and just because you're a good leader 
and not based on truth is going to end you up in a janitor's closet somewhere. And you're going to have some people that are in the same room with you. You see, leadership, character, has to, it rises and falls on truth. And that's what Timothy is, 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 or what Titus is told here by Paul, that it's, it's leadership that comes because of, of what you know to be true. Here's what Paul told his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Very similar ideas. He said this, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned, he said, listen, Timothy, from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, and then this famous, these famous two verses, all Scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God, that's you, Timothy, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Timothy, what you need most of all is remember what you've been taught. Keep that in your mind. Follow the truth. You know the truth. Let the Scripture guide the truth, and then be a leader based on that truth. Because what your congregation needs is to be equipped, but they need to be equipped by truth. And that's what Timothy is told and what Titus is going to be said several times throughout this book. It's for your fact, if you're a leader, for your benefit, you need to know truth. You need to know what God wants you to do so that you can continue to grow and be healthy. And the people that are following you, the people that you're influencing, they need to see what God wants them to see because you're following truth. And they need to see that, that you're learning in this and you're growing in this and you're, you're opening on a regular basis and you're asking questions about this and you're saying, I want to know truth because that's what's useful. It's what's useful for me. It's what's useful for those who are following me. That's how important it is, is that, that I, I'm leading them. But we're even going to find next week, and we'll dive into it even deeper, that within the church is going to rise up some that are unhealthy and may even be trying to distort the truth. And as he says at the end of this verse, it's important for leaders to be able to refute them, to rebuke them, to know truth and be confident in it, to say, no, don't, you're not going to talk about that here. That's not true. Our church needs to go away of healthy leaders that are following healthy truth and have the courage to stand up and say, and we're not going to talk about that because it's not truth. That's what a leader does. It's character based on truth. In fact, back when we went to Acts 20, when he talked to those Ephesus leaders, listen to what he said to them. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Leaders, wherever you are in whatever area of leadership, one thing you have to do is based on truth to watch out for those who are around you. Do not let error get into a place that would take them somewhere that, that leads them in a wrong direction. That's what leaders are supposed to do. Courageously, we lead, we lead based on truth, growing in truth. All right, a healthy church rises and falls on leadership. Leadership rises and falls on character. Character rises and falls on truth. One last thing I want to give as we walk through this is, is this, this thought. Leading begins and ends with following. It, it makes sense if we're going to talk about that. This, the idea, the very essence of this is found in that final phrase, and I read it again in verse number 9. He says, you're to do all this so that he, the leader, can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. You're to encourage others. Here's what we got to make sure leaders we understand. I think most of you in here, we got a great group of leaders get this, but we got to make sure always to keep this in mind. The job of me being a good leader is not so that I can be a good leader. The job of me being a good leader is based on the people who are following me. My, it's not to grow in leadership so I can be a, oh, that's a good leader. It's about how are the followers coming behind me. That's the key. Leadership is all about the followers. And in fact, it's very important that we know that, that as a leading, that we are following. Let's, let's just do a little t- test here. Let's, how many of you have ever played follow the leader, whether informally or not? You just saw someone, you followed them. Uh, Patrick, stand and let's illustrate this a second, all right? Patrick, I'm just going to take a walk back there, and I want you to just do whatever I do, okay? You just follow me, okay? All right, so you just follow, you do, you move your hands, you just move whatever, you do whatever you can, and you follow, follow me. Okay, we'll try it again. I move, and I walk, and a- Andrew's just going to... Patrick, Andrews, that, maybe that's why I call him the wrong name, but his, Patrick, is it, that was it, is it, all right. Do you understand the principle? John Maxwell, the guy said it again. A leader who thinks he's leading and looks behind and opens following is just taking a walk. Thank you, Patrick. You, you see, the point is this, leaders. It's about the people following you. It's not about you being a good leader and got all your ducks in a row. We've got to remember, it's all about the people that are following us. And if no one's following us, then we're really not leading. 
And if the people are following us, they're not going the right direction, then something's missing in our leadership. Leadership all comes back to the idea of, of following. It's the people that are following us that makes all the difference. Look what he said. The word he says is you're to encourage, or the, your version may say exhort. That word literally means to come alongside, to call to one side. It's, it's, uh, if you've ever heard this phrase, the word paraclete, it's one that would come alongside and, and encourage. It's even used in the New Testament for the word comfort. It, when leaders, what he's talking about is leaders are not just out front saying, do this. Leaders are coming alongside and they're making sure that the followers are doing just that. They're, they're able to follow. They're walking in there. They're close to that. It's, in essence, think about leadership this way. It's kind of an optical illusion. The leader is not out front because he's more important or he's smarter than everybody else. He's the one out front because he's closer to the goal. The point is that we're all going to the goal. The leader just happens to be the closest because he's taking the first steps, but he's got to have the people coming along behind him. It's a, it's a team. It's the work coming together. Leaders, it's about following. But here's what I find interesting in the Scriptures is even that reality all starts with following. Leaders, listen to this. You lead because you're, first of all, following. Here's how Paul put it, 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, follow me he said to the Corinthians, as I'm following Christ. He said, listen, if you, Corinthians, I, I'm going I'm to chart a course for you. We're going to go this way. We're going, and if you follow me, you're not going to be following somebody perfect, but I promise you this, we're at least both going to be following. We're heading towards Jesus. Follow me as I follow Christ. Leaders, that's where it starts for us, is we, we are leading and we need people to follow us, but first of all, we have to be followers. First of all is that as leaders, we are following Christ, and we're just inviting others to join us in this journey to be where God wants us to be. It literally is about leaders making leaders, disciples making disciples. We are going a direction, and we're gathering others to follow with this direction, but all of us are following Christ. That's what it is about leadership that makes all the difference. If we go back and, and Peter talks about this and uses three words again, look at 1 Peter 5. He says, To the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Those are three words. He says, Not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. There's those qualifications again. But notice he says, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Leadership is serving others. Leadership has come alongside others. Leadership literally is being an example to say, as I'm following Jesus, follow me. And we're both going to be heading towards the right goal if we're both following Jesus. With that, I want to give you one final encouragement about this leading, following thing. Because all of us at some point are leading, but all of us also at some point are following. And the Bible has some things to say. Let me take you to another passage, Hebrews chapter 13. Verse number 17, and the writer says this. In the ESV, it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Some of us have a problem with that part of that verse. Don't tell me to obey anybody. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I got my own mind, and, and you should. And so we have a little trouble with that, that particular verse. Let, let me just share something with you. That a word obey, and it is, it is a, a translation that can be used but it's not the same word obey that's used for like uh, obey God's commandments or children obey your parents. It's not the same word used. This word obey has the idea of someone that's been convinced, someone that's been persuaded, been confident to obey. In fact, I, I think that translation helps give me an idea of what this means. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Here's the idea. You're, God has made, set it up. Leadership is critically important. And we should never just follow someone because they're in the position of leadership. We've got to judge everything by truth. And we should never say, I'll do that just because they, it, God's word is our final authority and everything goes to them. But at some point, folks, the people that God has put in your life to lead, we've got to have confidence. Have they, do they meet the qualifications? If they meet the qualifications, then at some point we've got to be confident in what God is doing in their life and confident in the fact that God may have put them in their life for this very season. And are they going to be perfect? No. Are they going to make mistakes? You bet they will. But the point is this, I can have confidence that they meet the qualifications and so I'm going to have confidence to, to follow what God is leading them to do because there's a reason why they're here. God doesn't make mistakes and he's put them in my life for this point in this season. So I have 
confidence in the leadership of who they are and what God is doing in their life. And because, and notice what he says, have confidence and submit because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So have confidence, submit, do this so that their work will be of joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Listen to this, all of us who follow in some degree, those who are leading us, listen to what he says. First of all, leaders are going to give an account. Leaders, understand that. Anytime you lead, you're going to give an account of how you lead others and whether you're following by truth. And that's why evaluation is so important. Am I doing this? Am I living the way God, am I following Christ first? Because we are going to give an account for those who we are leading. But then he also says in this, in this idea is leaders are here for your benefit. It would be no benefit if this doesn't work right because they're here for your benefit. They, they may not, they may, you could do it better, possibly, probably, but God has put them there for a reason and part of it is to benefit you, to do something that will benefit your spiritual walk, to benefit what you are trying to do, but notice what he also says, and you can make the leader's job one of joy. If you simply say, I'm going to have confidence in God and this leader to do what God has called us to do. And it can be a joy, and because if it's a joy, it benefits the whole party. It's a joy for the leader. They're able to do what they're doing with joy. And it's a benefit for the, lead, for the followers because they're, they're seeing their leader with joy doing what God has called them to do. It benefits us all. Leadership is that important. A healthy church is growing, developing healthy leadership. So this morning... Here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend some time in prayer, as we always do. But let me specifically, specifically ask you to pray in these areas. One, pray about your role of leadership. And what, think about the ways in which people are looking to you. You're a parent. You're a teacher. You're, a, uh, you're maybe a designated leader. Maybe you're just an older to someone else, and someone's looking up to you, the influence. Consider that the way that you're leading and, and ask God to show you, how am I doing as a leader? Am I living a life worth following? Am I following Christ so that others can follow him if they follow me? So consider your personal leadership. How am I doing and what areas do I need to, to consider? Some of you are per- currently in a position of leadership. Right here in this church, leaders, let me just challenge you to take that not only seriously, but let God show you the qualities, the qualifications, and, and just remind you, and you and he talk about things that need to, to how can I be, lead well? How can I be an example? Maybe this would be a great morning just to come and, and just pray and say, God, I want to be a better leader, or God, I want to be the best leader possible. Just spend some time acknowledging that importance of leadership. And then can I ask you to pray for those who are leading you? Pray for those in whatever that position, your, your parents, your, your boss, your teacher, but specifically within the church, your, your elders, your pastors, your, the deacons, your, the teachers here, the, whatever, but you pray for them. Pray for them to have courage to do what they have to do. Pray that they are continue to walk and become healthier. Pray that they will, first of all, follow Christ so that when you follow them, you're, you're going the right direction. Pray for your leaders. One last thing I want to throw out, and that's this, that what I find interesting about this, the whole idea of us following Christ, is that's exactly what it is. Do you understand just the concept of salvation and how it applies to leadership? In that when we come to Christ, we know uh, we're, we're lost, we're separated from God because we're sinners, and we realize that Jesus died for us, and he, he, he gave his life for our sins, and then he rose again with power. And when we need someone to forgive us, but when we follow Christ, that's exactly what we say. We say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me, and I ask you to lead the rest of my life. It's just simply following the leadership of Jesus. My question to you, have you done that? Has there been a point in your life when you realized not only you needed someone to forgive you of your sins, but you turned your life to let him be the Lord, the, the, the one that you would follow with the rest of your life? It all begins by following Jesus. And that begins when you recognize your need and you receive his gift of salvation. Let's bow our heads together and let's spend some time praying today. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and the music's going to begin as it does. Let's consider these areas. What part of leadership has God spoken to you about? Do you recognize your influence and the people look, how are you at leading? Are you living a life worth following? If you're in a position of leadership, how's, how's that going? What, what areas do you need to work on? 
What areas has God just challenged you with today? Would you just pray for your leaders even now, just lifting it up by name? Would, but if you're here today and you've not accepted Christ as Savior, if you've not received his gift, today may I just invite you to come to the, come to the altar, as the song said, to come and realize that Jesus' arms are open wide and he loves you, he gave his life so that you could live. Would you receive his gift of salvation today and follow him with the rest of your life? Father God, I just want to turn this audience loose to just talk to you today. And I pray that they'll do that. You called us each in some form to lead, to influence others. Help us to to live lives worthy of following. And God, help our leaders, strengthen them, give them courage. Help us to live holy, upright lives that, that honor you. And God, please just help our leadership to continue to grow in health as they lead our church to grow in health. Father, please. And if there's one here that's lost, I ask that you draw them today to salvation. May this be the day that they recognize their need of a Savior and they turn to follow you to receive your gift of forgiveness. I pray this in Jesus' name.